Thrive. Welcome to Thrive Church Online. Can you believe it's the last Sunday of August? And what's a better way than spending this beautiful day at Thrive Church Online? My name is Christine and I'll be your online host for today. If this is your first time tuning in, we would love to welcome you. Please text NEW to 604-285-5770 and we'll mail you a Thrive stainless steel water bottle. And attention all parents, don't forget to visit mythrive.info slash thrivekids when you download the kids activity for today and follow along during our kids Zoom classes from 10.45 to 11.15 a.m. There'll be kids worship, a lesson, and games. It's a lot of fun, so I hope to see all of you kids online. All right, did you know it's sunflower season right now? They're absolutely gorgeous and it's my favorite type of flower. Comment in the chat room over here or over here or tell the person next to you your favorite flower and why. And after you've done that, be sure to take a selfie of yourself or with the person next to you and post it on all of your social media platforms. And remember to hashtag Thrive Church Online. Are you ready to get into another amazing pivotal moment? I hope you're comfy in your chair and you're ready for today's message. So let's get into it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Thrive Church Online. My name is JB. I'm one of the pastors here at Thrive Church. And it gives you great pleasure to welcome you to an amazing Sunday to draw near to God together. If this is your first time here, you are what we call our VIP. Everyone say our VIP. And we especially want to welcome you. And we, in fact, have a special gift we want to give to you. If you would go to mythrive.info and you can touch a button that says new to thrive, or you can text this word new to 604-285-5770. We've got a special gift we want to give to you. It's your very own stainless steel Thrive Church water bottle waiting just for you. We'd love to send that to you. We'd love to connect with you. A massive welcome to all of our VIPs in this place. And in fact, we have a saying here at Thrive, which is that welcoming is not just what we do, it's who we are. And so with that in mind, we just welcome another to church this morning, this evening, this afternoon, wherever in the world you're watching the service, in the chat rooms, maybe someone sitting beside you, give them a high five, a handshake, a warm hug if that's appropriate, and just say it's great to be here with you. Let's welcome one another to church today. You guys are a beautiful church inside and out. It is always a joy to be with you guys. And I want to let you know if you're here for the first time, you're wondering, why do we even do this here at Thrive? Why do we exist as a church? Why do we do what we do? Well, let me show you something that tells you why we do what we do today. And if you call Thrive Church your home church, or you've been here before and you know this, I want to encourage you as we show this screen to everyone, would you try to recite this from memory? Would you try to recite this by heart? Get it into your heart as much as you can. Let's read it out together right now. We're going to say, here at Thrive Church. We exist for five purposes called A-E-I-O-U. A stands for alive. It means we're here to worship Jesus. E stands for expectant. It means we're here to grow into Christ-like disciples. I stands for involved. It means we're here to serve God with our talents. O stands for out loud. It means we're here to lead others to Jesus. U stands for united. It means we're here to love our spiritual family called the church and we're our dream is to build a church of 10,000 AEIU leaders here in Vancouver and around the world. You guys get that? Oh, come on. Give God a big, big hand in this place right now. That is our dream. That's our vision of the church. If you call Thought Church your home church, I encourage you to get that in your heart. I encourage you to memorize that so you can recite it in the car, wherever you are. And that's just to let you know, to remind you, and to never forget the vision of our lives. Would you turn to your neighbors in the chat room and beside you, tell them we were made to be AEIOU. 
We were made to be A-E-I-O-U. Speaking of A-E-I-O-U, you guys were an amazing A-E-I-O church these past few weeks when we told you guys about how we as a church wanted to do something to help the people in Beirut, Lebanon, in the Middle East after that massive explosion that rocked that city with over 300,000 people in need of medical attention, shelter, uh, you know, water, food. You guys responded. We said that we would uh, you know, donate a portion of our offerings and tithes for that cause. We partnered with the Humanitarian Coalition for that purpose, and I'm pleased to announce that we are giving a total of $1,196 in support of relief to the people of Beirut. Oh, come on, give God a big hand for that. Let's thank God for the ability to be able to make a difference in this world. My understanding is we give this amount to the Humanitarian Coalition that the federal government is actually going to match that donation, and so thank you so very much to each and every one of you who gave, who's making a difference with what you gave. Praise God. We're just believing that God is going to use what we gave to make a real difference in the lives of people who need it the most. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Well, hey, let me give you an update on what's happening in the next few months, because, of course, we've been meeting as a church now for several months uh, online. We've become an online church. It's been a learning experience. It's been a challenge. It's been an opportunity. It's been, quite frankly, amazing. But you might be wondering, when are we going back to meeting on site together? Well, I want to give you an update, kind of like a COVID-19 update, since we're here at the end of August and going into the fall, into September. Really, there's no change in the plans we have for how we're going to meet right now. Uh, as you can see, the numbers in BC for COVID-19 cases uh, have not decreased. In fact, there's been a, been a bit of a spike. And so in the next few months, our plan is to continue to meet online for Sunday services. We've, of course, got small groups that meet online. We've got prayer meetings every week that meet online. Some small groups have started to actually meet in person where uh, just as a handful of people with social me measuring, uh, social distancing measures in place. And you're, so, of course, welcome to be part of that in a safe way. But all of this continues to be our plan, to meet online on Sundays for services for the next few months until the COVID-19 situation improves to the point where the government allows large gatherings of 250 plus people again uh, and until we feel confident that we can provide a safe, healthy, stable environment for everyone when we have on-site meetings. And at the end of November, that's when we will look to give you an update again as to where we're headed uh, going forward regarding the format of our gatherings. But in the meantime, let's make the most of every opportunity. Amen. We've got uh, a new year in September that we're starting. That's how we plan our church calendar. A new year starts in September. On September 13, it's our new year kickoff. We are so excited for that. Do not miss our kickoff because it's going to be amazing. You do not want to miss it. Some surprises in store for you that I think are going to delight you and excite you and motivate you and inspire you. And not just that, but we also have something called our Thrive Churchwide Fast happening on September the 1st. That's this coming Tuesday. Everyone say our churchwide fast. Thrive's Churchwide Fast is happening this Tuesday, September the 1st. It's an awesome opportunity for us to take special time away, to draw near to God together wherever you are in the world today. Is that we won't be meeting on site together, but wherever we are, we're going to be meeting online on Tuesday night. We're going to have a prayer meeting to pray together, to break fast together. And during the day, during the morning, during the afternoon, we're going to encourage you to, to take that time to fast and to pray. I'm going to talk a little bit more about fasting later 
later on today. But I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to sign up for our Thrive Churchwide Fast. You can go to mythrive.info and press the button Churchwide Fast. And there you're going to get a guide on how to do the fast safely and healthy and effectively. And we want you to make the most of this time. We found in the past, whenever we've fasted together as a church, that God uses that time to touch individuals' lives and to also bring our church to that next level. And so if you want to get ready with your church for a new season, can I encourage you to make the most of this opportunity? Go to mythought.info and sign up for our church-wide fast. Turn neighbor, give him a high five and say, I'm looking forward to the fast. I'm looking forward to the fast. You can actually look forward to it. It's actually an amazing time together. One day is not too bad, not too hard at all. But if we do it with the right attitude, it's going to be an amazing time as we draw near to God together. If you believe that, say amen. Finally, before we get to the message, I want to let you guys know, if you're here and you recently committed your life to Jesus, you recently raised your hand at one of our services to invite Jesus into your life, or recently you touched that button and says, I commit my life to Jesus, then I want to encourage you to uh, do this next step, which is called baptism. And if you've been thinking about getting baptized, but you haven't gotten baptized yet, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, if you know I'm a sinner, I know I need a Savior, and I know his name is Jesus, if that's you, then you don't have to wait 10 years until you get baptized. You don't have to wait until you've read the Bible backwards and forwards to get baptized. As long as you have Jesus in your heart, as long as you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again from the grave, that he's alive today, and you believe that, then you can get baptized. And we want to encourage you. We're not doing on-site baptisms with everyone hopping into one pool, of course, because of COVID-19 going on right now. And so what we're actually doing is we want to give you an invitation, a personal invitation to get baptized in a private baptism ceremony where we will arrange with you privately to go to maybe a pool or a jacuzzi or a beach if you want to and we'll do that one-on-one with you in a way that you feel comfortable in a way that makes everyone feel good and comfortable that we're going to baptize you as just a way to express your faith in Jesus it's an amazing thing we've already had people signing up for that and we're excited about that if that's you and you want to get baptized don't let COVID-19 stop you you can sign up go to mythought.info and press the button baptize or, or I want to get baptized I'm thinking about getting baptized, you have questions about baptism, go to that link as well, that baptism button on mythought.info, and we love to connect you with all the answers that you need and all the, you know, all, all, all the stuff you need to get ready for baptism. Uh, it's an amazing step to take. It's a next natural step to take. It's a simple step to take. It's a beginning, not a graduation. Encourage you to take that next step if you're thinking about it. Praise God. Well, are you guys ready for the message today? Praise God. You're an amazing church. And I want to ask you right now to grab your Bibles and uh, get it out together right now with me. And why don't you hold up your like so as we get into the message together. Why don't you hold up your Bible if you got one. And we're going to make this proclamation together just as a fun way to get our hearts ready for the message today. Let's say this with faith right now. Let's say, this is my Bible. It is God's Word. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I open up my heart so that God's Word can come in and change my life and I will never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you're wondering where 1 Samuel is, it's in the Old Testament, and we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1 in the Old Testament, first half of your Bible. We're going to be taking a look at 1 Samuel chapter 1 today. We're doing a series here at Thrive called Pivotal Moments. Everyone say Pivotal Moments. 
And in this series called Pivotal Moments, we're talking about real life situations where someone had to make a tough decision. And I want to thank each and every one of our speakers over the past nine weeks that's shared really transparently from their lives about situations, real life times when they had to make a tough decision, the lessons they learned because of going through that process and that decision making uh, situation. And uh, I've learned so much from this series. I've been touched in, on, on a lot of different, uh, you know, a lot of different occasions during the series. Maybe you have as well. Hope you have as well. Today is the final. Uh, it's the final message in our series called Pivotal Moments. Everyone go, ah, yeah. I know. I know you're gonna miss the series. I've certainly enjoyed the series, but we're gonna be starting something brand new in September, and we can't wait for you to be a part of it. But I've got the privilege of giving you the concluding message of our Pivotal Moments series because we believe that every day matters, every moment matters, and that we need to make the most out of every moment. That's why we're doing a series here called Pivotal moments. Today, as the concluding message of our series called Pivotal Moments, I wanted to share with you two pivotal moments from my life. But really what I wanted to do was I wanted to use these two pivotal moments from my life as bookends to a passage that we're going to be looking at together at 1 Samuel chapter 1. And if you are stuck in a tough situation that isn't changing right now, if you have been hurt badly by words that someone has spoken, if you have been bothered by something that someone did that's been messing with your peace or that's keeping you up at night, then let me tell you this. Today, this passage we're going to read and this message you're going to hear is for you. See, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we're going to read the first 11 to you know 12 verses together. And I want you to do this. Don't let the hard-to-pronounce names of people and places that you might not know don't let that take you away from the fact that there are some amazing, powerful lessons we can learn from this passage that we're going to get into together today. Let's look at First Samuel, First Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Would you help me read in a big, loud voice together? If you mess up a name, that's okay. I'm going to mess up pronunciation of certain names as well, but that's okay. Let's get into the Word of God together right now. It says, there was a certain man from Remathame, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, not Tofu, but Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Verse 9 says, when, Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Will you drop down to verse 19? Verse 19 says, Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back home to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, 
and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. I want you to take some good notes today because I think this could be a very powerful message for many of you here in this place. Let me give you the title to today's message. It's kind of long, but let me give you two anyways. The title to today's message is called Take a Stand. Take a Stand. Ushering your next pivotal moment with the power of prayer. You might want to take a little snapshot of that on your phone or on your computer, but why don't you write that down? Would you turn to your neighbors and say, Take a Stand? Take a stand. We're talking about taking a stand, ushering your next pivotal moment with the power of prayer. Let me tell you a story. About 10 years ago, my wife, Charlie, and I, we were looking for a house in Richmond. We'd been living in a condo for a number of years, and we wanted to move to a home because, you know, we were you know, hoping to have a family, and we thought we needed space for that. And for six months, we looked all over Richmond for a home. We looked at over 100 homes and still couldn't find what we're looking for. And if you've ever been house shopping before, 100 homes is a lot of homes to be looking at. And, you know, I, I had my amazing genius wife, uh, Charlene, who is so good at Excel. Have you guys used Excel before? You know, that computer program? And, you know, she is so great at Excel. You know, she's the best person I know when it comes to Excel. She can, she can fry an egg with Excel if she wanted to. She could drive a car with Excel if she really wanted to. And the thing is, she had this Excel, you know, spreadsheet she opened where whenever there was a house in the neighborhood that we're interested in that would appear on the market, boom, it would be in her system. And we have all these, you know, all this research done almost automatically because that's how smart my wife is. Uh, and here's the thing is one day, you know, after six months, we had not found the home despite all of our Excel spreadsheets, despite us going to and fro and going all over the Richmond to find a, a place, we could not find that place. And one day I'm having dinner with my dad. And my dad asked me the question. He said, hey, JB, have you prayed and asked God about this? And, you know, I'm a pastor, all right? And I've, I've been, you know, planting a church by that point for a few years. But if I had to be really honest, I hadn't prayed about it. And, and when, when he said, have you prayed about this? I'm in an embarrassing kind of tone. I was like, uh... No, I actually haven't. And I was like, oh my goodness, all this time I've been working so hard with my wife to find a home and we haven't even prayed about this. And so you know what we did is I went home that night and I opened my electronic journal, not a diary, but a journal, and I wrote down all the specs that we were hoping to find in this house. I wrote down what neighborhood we wished we would be in. I wrote down how many bedrooms that this home would hopefully have, how many bathrooms it should have, you know, how wide the front yard should be, how high the ceilings we hoped it would be, how the kitchen could hopefully connect into a family room. And then after writing out all these specs, maybe 10, 15 different specs, I wrote at the very end of that list in my electronic journal, I said, thank you, God, in advance for this house. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And what happened? The next day, I plan to go to the gym, and I'm driving to the gym, but I take a wrong turn, and I end up going a different direction. I'm like, you know what? I'm really close to the neighborhood that we would love to be in, and so I decide to start driving through that neighborhood, and all of a sudden, I pass by a house with a for sale sign on it. I'm like, hey, that's really cute. So the first thing I do as when I see any house that I think is cute, I call my wife. And I call Charlotte, and I say, hey, Char, can you just check on your Excel spreadsheet about this house and give her the address? And she's looking into her Excel file. She's like, oh, it doesn't come up on my system. Oh, it's not on my radar. And then I, I call our realtor, but she doesn't know anything about it. And it turned out that when we actually called the person who was selling the house, it turned out that house had not even gone on the market yet. They had just literally two hours before I called 
put the sign for sale into the grass. They didn't even tell anyone yet about the sale. And then we contacted them. We said, hey, can we take a look at the house? We went into the house. We saw that it matched all of our specifications. And just two months later, we closed on a deal to get that house. Isn't that amazing? See, what happened? I went six months without praying about our new home, and we got how much? Nothing. Eh, Nothing. Stuck for six months. But then on one night, I asked, and I asked specifically for God's help on the matter. On the next day, God grants my request. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? If you're looking for a house right now, hopefully that's some encouragement for you. But here, that was a pivotal moment for us. And it wasn't just a pivotal moment because that's how we found, uh, you know, our home. And, you know, of course, it was a special home for us. It was where our eldest was, you know, that's where he was first. That's where he grew up. And, you know, that was his first home. I remember bringing him after he was born into that home. Special memories in that home. But even more, even more, the reason why that's a pivotal moment for us is the lesson that we took from that experience. And even though we're not in that house anymore, we've moved on from that home, we still take with us wherever we go the lesson from that pivotal moment. And what is that lesson? You can write it down. Is that prayer has the power to propel you into your next pivotal moment. Prayer has the power to propel you, to push you into, to open up in, for you the next pivotal moment of your life. Prayer has this way of ushering, expediting, making possible pivotal moments in your life. And I've learned that from experience, that when it comes to some of the biggest blessings that God has for your life, God waits for you to ask him. And it's and such that, you know, when it comes to some of the biggest blessings of our lives, including that house, I don't know what would have happened if we didn't ask. James chapter 4, verse 2 says this. It says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Is there a situation in your life where you're, where you're really hoping for a solution? And my question is, have you asked God for that solution? Have you actually asked God? Or are you just depending on your own smarts, your own hard work, your own plans? It's time to ask God. Turn to me and say, it's time to ask God. It's time to ask God. Why do I mention that today? It's because here in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we are reading of a woman called Hannah who has been stuck in a really tough situation that is not changing. And it's, she's been stuck in it not just for six months, not just for a year, but for years after years after years. She, she, Hannah, she's been unable to have children. And not just that, but the other wife in the home keeps provoking her and trash-talking her and taunting her because she doesn't have kids. Look at verse 6. It says, And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Now, just really quick, really quick, about polygamy, all right? About this idea of a man having more than one wife. Let me ask this question. Does the Bible condone polygamy? Does the Bible encourage polygamy? Does the Bible say polygamy is okay? Well, the fact is the Bible mentions polygamy in a lot of different places. And that's because a lot of different cultures at that time, you know, polygamy was a common thing. But see, you got to understand is that so often when the Bible would mention an incident of polygamy, it mentions along with it all the problems that came because one man had more than one wife. And it just goes to show that, you know, the Bible doesn't condone polygamy, but that God's design for marriage was always to be between two people, not three, not four, not 10, not a hundred. And so if you're here in this place going, hmm, I, I'm already married, but it'd be nice to have a second wife. Like, can, 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 you you got to think again, because the Bible doesn't condone polygamy. But look at verse seven. What does it say? It says, this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. See, I could just imagine 
you know, Hannah, she's on her way to the house of the Lord, the church where they worship. And, and her rival, Penina, this other wife, is trying to say things to just get under her skin. Do you have someone in that, in, 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 that, 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 that's like that in your life? Maybe someone at work or someone at home just love to get under your skin? And, and, and she's like, I can imagine Penina saying to Hannah, hey, Hannah, why are you late again? It's not like you've got kids to take care of. You know, Hannah, you know, I, 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 I know that you're not really that busy because you don't have kids, so can you get me a drink of water? Or, oh, hey, Hannah, you know, I, oh, thanks, I'm good. Thanks for asking, Hannah. But, you know, I'm just really tired because I've just been taking care of all these kids. But, but you wouldn't know anything about that, would you, Hannah? And see, here's the thing, just, just over and over taunting Hannah, over and over saying these little underhanded, backhanded, you know, little things to, to get under her skin, and it would bother Hannah to no end. It would cause Hannah to get so angry, so upset, so disturbed, so discouraged, so depressed, that all she could do was run to her husband, Elkanah, and complain about this other woman. And verse 8 says it right now. It says, Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? And Hannah wisely doesn't answer that question. Here's the thing. For years, Hannah would allow the situation to keep her defeated, discouraged, depressed. She would weep. She'd sulk. She'd throw a pity party for herself. She'd cry herself to sleep. But the thing I love about Hannah is that one day she decides to respond to her situation differently. Look at verse 9. Look at this. She says, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Would you, if you have your Bibles in front of you, on your lap or in your hand, would you underline or highlight these words? Hannah stood up. Would you turn your neighbor in your chat room and say, Hannah stood up. Hannah stood up. See, see let, let, me, let me put it to you this way. There comes a time in your life when what you need to do is stand up. There comes a time in your life when what you need to do is to take a stand against whatever it is that is holding you down. That's what Hannah did. She didn't just, you know, let the situation defeat her. Finally, she decides, I'm going to stand up to the situation. How about you? Is there a situation in your life that keeps defeating you? For some of you today, there's something in your life that's been doing that to you. It's maybe fear. It's maybe a sense of inferiority where you keep comparing yourself to others and as a result, there's this sense of worthlessness that you don't feel like you're good enough. You know, for some of you, it's this bad habit that you have or this secret struggle that no one knows that you have except yourself and it keeps on defeating you every week or every night or every day. For some of you, what's defeating you is this unhealthy way of thinking. You're constantly thinking about you know, all that could go wrong. There's worry in your heart. Maybe for you, it's a failure or a disappointment or a hurt from your past that even though you're here, in August 30, 2020, actually you, it feels like you're living sometime in the past because you've never moved on from that hurt or that failure and you're defeated by that. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's something else. But see, here's the thing. We all can tend to relate to that, the fact that there's maybe something that can really get the best of us sometimes and defeat us and cause us to get discouraged. And if that's you, then you feel like Hannah is that you feel likely helpless, you feel held down, you feel discouraged, you feel defeated, you feel depressed because of that thing that keeps defeating you. And I'm here to let you know today, there comes a time in your life when what you need to do is take a stand against whatever it is that's holding you down. Don't just sit there and sulk. Don't just sit there and cry about your situation, but instead stand up and do something about it. If you believe that, say amen. See, this past week, for example, 
Yet another black man in America, Jacob Blake, he is the victim of one more incident of senseless police violence in the U.S. You know, he is not armed. He's walking to his car. The police shoot him seven times in the back in the presence of his kids who are in the car. As well, he's paralyzed right now. And in response to this, we've been hearing about how athletes in the NBA, the WNBA, Major League Soccer, they're all boycotting their games, in some cases playoff games, to make a stand, to say again, all this police abuse that's been happening, they're taking a stand. They're peacefully protesting and saying, this cannot continue. Something needs to change. What are they doing? They're taking a stand. And the first time chapter chapter one, do you know what, what Hannah's doing? She's taking a stand. And what is she standing up to? What is she protesting, if you will? Let me tell you what Hannah was standing up to. Hannah was taking a stand against the old version of herself. See, the thing that irritated Hannah even more than Penina, her rival, even more than the fact that she you know, wasn't, getting, you know, wasn't getting pregnant or wasn't able to have children, what annoyed her, irritated her, defeated her even more was this, this part of her that would get so easily triggered by these situations. That part of her that would get so easily defeated and discouraged and depressed by her circumstances. And that Hannah, she hated that part of her. Do you have this part of you that you kind of hate? It's, and, and you hate it in the, the fact, oh man, why do I have to keep saying that? Why do I have to keep reacting that way? There's this, almost this part of you that you don't like about yourself that you wish was different. And you're like, man, I don't like that. And, and you want to take a stand against it. That's what Hannah's doing. She's taking a stand against this old version of her. And how does she take a stand? Well, instead of sulking about her situation, instead of crying about her circumstances, instead of throwing a pity party for herself and others to join, instead of weeping and just being sad, Hannah takes a stand through prayer. And see, so look at verse 10. It says, in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. So let me tell you this. It's one thing to sulk and to weep, but it's an entirely other thing to weep before the Lord to bring your tears into the presence of God, to bring your burden, your pain, your discomfort to God. Because when you're not just complaining and crying, but you bring your burden to God, guess what? There's something healing about that. There's something strengthening about that. You can bring your burden to God. Turn your and say, bring your burden to God. When you bring your burden to God, there's something healing about that. So I encourage you to do that. Do that even today. Do that even now. And, and not only does she pray and bring her burden to God, but in verse 11, what does Hannah do? It says, and she made a vow saying, oh, Lord Almighty. Stop right there. See, I don't know about you, but I find that sometimes the fires we go through can refine our faith. The discomfort we go through can deepen our understanding of who God is. The, the discomfort we go through can sometimes deepen our desire for God. And that's what happened in Hannah's case. Her pain almost made her a theologian, where she is starting to have an understanding of who God is that maybe she wouldn't have had if she didn't go through that trial. And in fact, you're going to find this, is that when she says, Oh, Lord Almighty, that's the first time in all of Scripture that any one person refers to God as that. And, and she becomes this groundbreaking theologian. I could go on and on about Hannah. See, Anna, Hannah, you know, she's the only woman in the Old Testament who's described as herself going up to the Lord's house. She's the only woman in the Old Testament who's described as, has, has, as having made and fulfilled a vow to the Lord. In, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, the next, you know, the, the next chapter over, she prays this prayer. It's one of the most beautiful prayers that you're going to find in the Bible. It's one of the longest prayers. Not to say that long prayers equal spirituality, but in, in, in the case where you see a long 
long prayer in the Bible, that means it's significant. That she, of all the women in the Bible, she prays the longest prayer that any Old Testament woman prays. And you know, when she was barren, she didn't make the same mistake that other barren women before her made. Sarah, Rebecca, they would all take matters into their own hands and make some really unwise decisions that hurt them and hurt others just for the sake of having a baby. You know, Hannah didn't do that. She trusted God. You could make the case that Hannah is the most spiritual, faith-filled, godly woman of the Old Testament. She was Mary before there was Mary. She was Elizabeth before there was Elizabeth. It's because she trusted God. You know, the Bible says that charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is worthy to be praised. That's Hannah. And if you want to be a woman of character, if you're I'm speaking to all the women in this place right now, if you want to leave a legacy that matters, then act like Hannah. Learn from Hannah. Be like Hannah. And see, Hannah, she's an amazing woman. Look at, keep, keep reading verse 11. It says, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. You're thinking, why no razor on his head? What's wrong with razors? I got a haircut uh, you know, about a week and a half ago. They used a razor on my head. Is something wrong with me? Did I disobey the word of God? No, no. See, what Hannah's doing, she's alluding to the fact that she would dedicate her son to serve God as a Nazarite. A Nazarite was someone who made a vow of separation to God, saying, all my life, I want to dedicate my life to serving God. And see, I want to keep this in mind. When Hannah prays and prays this prayer and says, oh God, would you give me a son? Hannah, that's not her only prayer. That's not her only thing that she's saying to God. She's not just, it's not just a really self-centered prayer. Oh, God, give me a son, give me a son, give me a son. Please, 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 give me a son, give me a son, give me a son. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name, pray, amen. That's not her prayer. See, Hannah, by this point, she'd already prayed a bunch of things that we didn't read about, we didn't see. She probably expressed her frustration to God. She probably surrendered her burden to God. She probably just spent time in the house of the Lord, just worshiping God and remembering who he is, how he's greater than her situation. And she probably spent time just being still in God's presence. And that's that's why he calls her, she calls him, O Lord Almighty. You are O Lord Almighty, the one who's in control, the one who's got, this, got my situation in his hands, the one who holds tomorrow in your hands. You are Lord Almighty. And what happens is that when she calls herself, she calls her what? She calls her your servant. She calls herself your servant. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not you ordering God around, insisting on him, bending to your agenda. But prayer is you humbling yourself before God and surrendering your agenda to him. Amen. It's you saying, God, let your will be done. I'm your servant and you have your way with me. Verse 12 says this, as she kept on praying to the Lord, read with me, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. See what's going on. Hannah, she is so focused on praying that her mouth is moving, but no words are coming out. It's just, she's, she's not even thinking about how she looks in front of people. She's just, she's just praying from her heart, and she's, she's, her mouth is moving, her lips are moving, but no words are audible because she's not praying to other people. She's praying to God, and Eli doesn't get it. Eli doesn't understand it. He looks from a distance and thinks, this girl's drunk. And you know, I've got to put it to you this way. There's a lesson here. That sometimes you will seek God passionately and intentionally, and other people won't understand it. It might not, not, it might not make sense. They might criticize you. They might misunderstand what you're doing, but that's okay. It doesn't concern them. It's between you and God. Amen? Don't let other people's misunderstanding keep you from seeking God with all your heart. And part of that is don't be so concerned about what other people think when you're seeking God. Maybe the reason why you give God half-hearted worship sometimes 
and you, you, instead of lifting up your hands, you put them in your pockets. It's because you're way too concerned about how you look in front of people. And maybe the reason why you don't shout to God is because you're just, you're just kind of concerned. Oh, what, what if people think I'm crazy? What if people think that I'm a fool? You know, the, the fact is this, is that if you want to give God all of your worship, don't be so concerned and so self-conscious about your way we worship God. If you want to lift your hands, lift your hands high. Amen. If you're going to shout to God, give God a big shout. Oh, come on, do that right now. Give God a big shout in this place right now. Amen. And sometimes people won't understand, but that's okay. That's you and God. And see, here's the thing. Eli sees Hannah praying, and he mistakes it for drunkenness, and he makes a snap judgment. He says, get rid of your wine, you drunk woman. And see, if this was old Hannah, how would old Hannah respond? You know how old Hannah would respond? Old Hannah would respond by throwing a pity party, sulking, complaining, going up to Elkanah going, ah! Did you hear what priest said to me? Do you know? Do you hear what Eli said to me? Do you know what he called me? You know, and, 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 just, and, and I'm being judged. I'm being provoked again. I can't get away from this judgment. I can't get away from this provocation. That's what she would say. Old Hannah would say that. But you know what? Not new Hannah. Because new Hannah spent quality time in God's presence. New Hannah was using the power of prayer to help her. And, and as a result, you know what happened? She started to change from the inside out. She started to have this confidence that she didn't have before. She started to have this mental toughness about her that she didn't have before. She started to have this inward security that she didn't have before, such that she's not so easily bothered by the silly things that people say and the foolish things that people do. It doesn't mean that she's impervious to plain. It doesn't mean that she's invincible, but it means that she's no longer this twig that breaks apart just because of any little thing that anyone does or says. And I'm here to tell you this in the same way. Prayer changes us from the inside out. Is that when you become a person who takes time out to pray and to spend time with God, it changes you from the inside out, such that you're not as easily bothered by your circumstances. You're not as easily disturbed by the things that people do and say, there's a peace that's longer lasting. There's a security. There's a toughness. There's a confidence in you, such that you're not like a twig that breaks so easily at every little thing that people say or do. I want to be like that. Do you want to be like that? We want to be just like that. And it happens through the power of prayer. If you believe that, say amen. And see, Hannah's response to Eli reflects the change that's gone on inside her. Look at verse 15. Instead of crying, instead of sulking, instead of complaining, what does she say? She says, such a, such a gracious answer. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. So Eli, he's the high priest. He hears it. And he's probably thinking, oh, oops, uh, okay. And this is the closest to an apology you will ever hear from Eli. He says this, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you ask of him. That's the closest to an apology you'll ever get from Eli. And verse 18 says, she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. See, do you guys know what the name Hannah means? The name Hannah means grace, undeserved kindness. And see, here we see Hannah responding to Eli's silly words and foolish actions with exactly that. He, she responds with grace. She's overcoming evil with good. And what's the lesson here? Is that when we pray, 
We step into our real God-given identity. Hannah truly becomes Hannah when she's a person of prayer. So you step into your real God-given identity and your destiny. When you pray, you become more and more the person that God made you to be, a strong, resilient, secure person. And, and, and really quick, you know, I want you to notice something. Notice the difference between Hannah and Eli. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 of 1 Samuel 1, it says, Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Hannah is standing. Eli is sitting. Hannah is standing. Eli is sitting. What difference is there in their physical postures? One is standing, one is sitting. And when, ha- when, when 1 Samuel describes that, where Hannah, she is standing inside the tabernacle. She's worshiping God. Eli, he's the high priest, but where is he? He's, at, he's outside. He's outside the tabernacle. And he's sitting on a chair and just like, oh. And let me tell you this. These two contrasting physical postures of Hannah and Eli actually reflect their two very different spiritual attitudes. Is that even though Eli is the high priest of Shiloh, Eli was passive and prideful toward God. Hannah, she's this common lady who doesn't have any kids, but she is proactive and she's humble before God. And their different physical postures reflect that. One is reclining, going, when's service over? When can we eat dinner? You know, look at that person. Look at look, look at what she's wearing. And, and it's judging people from a distance. Hannah, she's standing up. She's worshiping God proactively. She's drawing near to God. And that different physical posture didn't just reflect two different spiritual attitudes toward God, but in fact, these two different spiritual physical postures also foreshadow what would happen to both of them in the long term is that with Eli, his spiritual legacy wouldn't last. In just a few years after this moment that we're reading about right now, Eli would lose the priesthood forever. But Hannah, her legacy would go on forever because the end result of all this is that she would give birth to a son called Samuel. And Samuel would become one of the greatest prophets in the Bible. And her legacy, her spiritual legacy would carry on to this day. And what's the lesson we can learn here? Is that your attitude toward God is the number one factor that's going to determine the life you live and the legacy you leave. And see, you might say that you know, the most pivotal moment of Hannah's life was when Hannah finally gives birth to a son of her own called Samuel. Now, I'm sure that's a pivotal moment in her life. I'm sure that that was the most joyful moment of her life. But I'm going to put to you today that the most pivotal moment of Hannah's life was not when Samuel was born. That was just the end result, the fruit of an even more pivotal moment in Hannah's life, which happened not in verse 19 when she got pregnant, but in verse 9 when she prayed. And when she stood up and said, I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm not going to keep being defeated by my situation. Instead, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to take a stand and I'm going to usher in my next pivotal moment through the power of prayer. Oh, come on. Give God a big, big hand in this place right now. That's what Hannah did. See, get this. What happened? Hannah prepared herself for the next great pivotal moment of her life through the power of prayer. It's because prayer prepares. Prayer invites. Prayer opens up. Prayer welcomes new great pivotal moments in our lives. And Hannah's story shows us that prayer has the potential not just to change your external circumstances, even more importantly, prayer has the power to change us from the inside out. Notice what happened first. Did, 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 did her attitude change or did her circumstances change first? It was her attitude. And it just goes to show that sometimes your perspective needs to change before your circumstances will. Sometimes we keep complaining about your situation, keep complaining about your circumstances, when maybe what needs to change more than any of those things first is your perspective. 
It's your attitude. And do you know what is the number one way to change your perspective? It's through the power of prayer. You know what is the number one way to adjust your attitude? It's through the power of prayer. Not just, oh, God, thank you for this food. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. But it's extended time in the presence of God. Presence of God and prayer. When we do it intentionally, when we spend quality time with God, it has the power to change us from inside out. Prayer has the power to change our perspective. And so let me end this message today by sharing with you a second pivotal moment from my life. And then I'm going to tell you what we're going to do together as a church in just a next, the next couple days. Well, let me start with a pivotal moment. See, when I was about you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, I was a really chubby kid. I would show pictures for you today, but I just don't have them with me right now. And here's the thing. I was a really chubby kid. And people called me Xiaopeng, which in Mandarin means small, fat boy. All right? And, and I, that's people, hey, Xiaopeng. And, and here's the thing. Because I didn't speak any Mandarin, I didn't understand Mandarin, I was always curious what Xiaopeng meant. So one day I asked my dad, hey, dad, people keep calling me Xiaopeng. What does Xiaopeng mean? And he thought a bit. He's like, uh, well, uh, Xiaopeng means, um, uh, and he didn't want to hurt my feelings. And so uh, Xiaopeng means, uh, Xiaopeng means, Xiaopeng means you're very, uh, it means you're, it means you're very, it means you're very handsome. All right? It means you're very handsome. And so every time anyone would come to me and go, hey, Xiaopeng, I'd be like, oh, thank you so much. Thank you. You too. You are Xiaopeng too. You are as well. And, and see, here's the thing, is that back then, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, I didn't really care about the way I looked. But when I got into adolescence, when I became a teenager, all of a sudden, for some reason, I would just get to get so self-conscious about the way I looked. You know, I'd get self-conscious about my appearance, my weight. I'd look at myself in the mirror, and I did not like what I saw. And it was one of those things where it got to the point where whenever I saw myself in the mirror, I despised what I saw, and I wanted to do something about it. And so I decided that every day, every day, after school, I'd run for about an hour to try to take off the weight. And whenever I'd go home, I'd try to make sure I'm only eating healthy food, fruits and vegetables only, you know, count all the calories, count the fat content, count all that stuff so to, to make sure I'm losing as much weight as possible. And if you were to take my high school pictures from my yearbook and you look at grade 9, grade 10, grade 11, and you put them back to back to back to back and you kind of, you kind of flip them all in kind of like a flip book, you would see almost like a cartoon, JB getting smaller and smaller and thinner and thinner. That's how much weight I was losing. And if you had to ask me back then, back in grade 11, grade 12, as I'm losing all this weight and looking at myself in the mirror, I would say I'm liking the way I look better than I did before. But despite the physical changes that were happening in me, there was something really unhealthy that was going on inside of me. Is that whenever there was a moment, a day when I didn't run for an hour or I didn't exercise, or there was a time or a day when I didn't count the calories or I ate something that I didn't think was very healthy, you know what would happen? is that that night, in the middle of the night, there would be this tremendous sense of guilt and discomfort and almost depression that would set over me. Such that at 2 a.m. in the morning, I have these urges to go out and, and start you know, running like on the spot. Or I'd want to say, okay, for the next week, I'm not going to eat anything. It was that kind of thing. And I, I don't know a lot of guys who go through this. I know some girls have gone through this that I know of. But it's one of those things where I, wouldn't, I don't know if it was to the point of an eating disorder. But it was, I could say, a really unhealthy way of thinking. And it would defeat me time and time again. I felt depressed. I felt defeated because of this. There was one friend who knew about this. Because I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell anybody. But there was one friend who knew about this. And one day, because he knew about the situation, uh, he, he told me, you know, hey, because he knew that I'd been a Christian, like a, a Christian for just a few years. By then, I was a young Christian. And he said, hey, JB, I know about what you're going through. And 
and it, it, it hurts my heart to see you go through this, man. Would you like to take some time just to fast and pray about this? And when the moment, the moment he said fast and pray, I was like, fast? Yeah, I can fast. I can lose more weight that way. He said, no, 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 not just fast, but fast and pray. And he encouraged me to take some time just to really bring this issue to God. And so that's what I decided to do. And for the next five days, I decided not all five days, but during just the lunch hour of each of these five days, I was going to take that time just to pray and fast and draw near to God. And it was one of those things where it was in the summer, I was working at an office, and, and I just remember at lunch hour, I'm just not going to eat. Instead, I'm going to grab my Bible, I'll go to the lunchroom, I'll just read and maybe pray, and, and who knows what will happen. So I remember the first day comes, Monday comes, and I'm at the lunch room, and I open up my Bible, and I'm reading, and, and I, I think maybe something will happen, but nothing really happens. And then Tuesday comes along, day two, and I go to the same lunchroom, I open up the Bible, I'm reading the Bible, I'm praying. But, you know, you know, it was good time with God, but nothing really happened. Third day, fourth day, nothing happens. Finally, day five, last day of the fast. I go to that same lunchroom. I open up my same Bible. I'm sitting at the same seat. As I'm praying, as I'm, as I'm, as I'm reading the, the scripture, nothing really happens. And I thought, man, last day of the fast, thanks a lot, friend. That really helped. But then later on that afternoon, I go back to my desk, and I'm working on some documents. And I can remember it was probably something like 1.30 in the afternoon. And I could sense for some reason this really strong sense in me that was saying, JB, go to the washroom and look at yourself in the mirror. Go to the washroom and look at yourself in the mirror. And I was like, oh, like what's that? That's weird. I don't need to go to the washroom. I'm good where I am. And I thought maybe I'm just, my blood sugar is low. I haven't eaten very much today. So I'm just maybe hallucinating or I don't know what. But I just kind of you know, dismissed the thought and I just kept on working away. And for the next two, three hours, that sense in me just would not go away. It just got stronger and stronger. Almost like there was this voice inside telling me, go JB to the washroom, look yourself in the mirror. And so finally about, you know, mid-afternoon, maybe four o'clock or so, I finally, I'm like, okay, I, I can't even concentrate on my work anymore. This sense in me is so strong. So I, I put my pen down. I go outside because it's, it's, it's one of those offices that has a shared washroom with other offices. So I go out to the washroom that's shared with other offices. I go into the washroom. I go, into the, I go through the door. I, and I stand and I look at myself in front of the mirror. And I don't know why, but at that moment, as I'm staring at myself in the mirror, just like I would when I was 12 years old and not liking what I saw, I would stare at myself in the mirror. And that very same voice that told me, JB, get up, go to the washroom, and look yourself in the mirror. At that moment, that same voice was saying, JB, from the moment you were born, through the days when you were chubby, till all that time when you lost that weight, all the way till now, I've never stopped loving you. My love for you has never ever changed. And, and you know, I, I'd grown up going to church and I was a new Christian. I'd heard about all these things about how God loves you. God loves you unconditionally. That's why I sent Jesus Christ down the cross for us. I knew that. I've, I heard that. I believed that. But for some reason, the idea that God loved me no matter what, it, it broke me in a way that it never broke me before. And it hit my heart in a way where I felt the presence of God in a way that I'd never felt before, here in a washroom. Thank God there was no one else there at the moment who walked in. I'm sitting, I'm standing in this washroom, I'm looking at myself in the mirror, and I sense the presence of God in such a powerful way that I start to weep in the middle of the washroom. It's like you don't even turn on the sink, there's water all over right now, and I'm just, I'm just weeping, and I'm weeping, and I'm weeping because of this, this thing that's hit me right now, that God loves me just the way that I am. And I, and I don't know why it all turned out that way. But I can tell you that the next day, when I didn't go on for a run, and I didn't eat super healthy, and then many next days after that, whenever that would happen, no longer was there a guilt 
or a discomfort or this depression that would set over me. It was like it was okay because God loves me just the way I am. And it was something where God knew that what I needed more than to lose weight was to know his unconditional love for me. And it changed my life. In fact, I wouldn't be here today without that moment. I don't know if we'd have Thrive Church without that moment. It's changed the way I look at people. It changed the way they look at God. It changes the way I preach because I knew and experienced and encountered for myself through the power of prayer, the amazing, unconditional love of God. Oh, come on, give God a big hand and a big shout in this place together right now. That's God's love for you too. That's God's love for you too. And maybe you're here in this place and you often look down on yourself you often think of yourself as worthless, as you know, meaningless, as having no value, and you look down on yourself, maybe because of the way you look or, or, or something that's happened in your life, and you look down on yourself, you keep comparing yourself to others. Can I tell you this today? From the moment you were born, through every up and down and every season of your life, all the way till now, God has never stopped loving you. He loves you with an unconditional love that will never quit, so much so that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins so that we wouldn't be apart from him, so that we could have his forgiveness and a relationship with him. Oh, come on, give God a big, big hand and a big shout in this place right now. That's the love of God for you. And, you know, I'm not proud of this song, but it's a song when I, when after that, that same day, I remember I come home from the office, um, and, and, and there's a song in my heart, and, um, and, 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 and you know, it's, it's a really simple song. I'm not proud of the song, but I, I can just tell you that, 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 that part of the song goes, You love me, you made me, and that's all I ever needed to know. You know me, and you hold me in the sweetest arms the human heart could know. And the last part goes, like, could it be I'm free? And indeed, I was free. It was as if God's unconditional love, exposed to the power of prayer, set me free from something that had bonded me, had bondaged me, and bound me, and enslaved me for year after year after year. And that's the power of prayer. That's the power of God. That's the power of his love. If you believe that, say Amen. It's because when we pray, we give God room to work in our lives in ways that only he can. And the lesson that I learned from that experience is that prayer and fasting can actually usher in your next pivotal moment. That prayer and fasting can actually prepare you for that next great moment that God has for your life. And that's why it's with that in mind that I want to end today by telling you about something we're going to be doing as a church in just a couple days. On September 1st, which is Tuesday, we're going to be doing together the Thrive Churchwide Fast. And if you're wondering what fasting is, let me tell you what it is right now. See, fasting is, this is a quote from Pastor Ronnie Floyd, fasting is abstaining from food with a spiritual goal in mind. It is when I pursue the God of heaven to do something powerful and supernatural in and through my life. If you've never fasted before, I want to encourage you to make the most of this opportunity that we're going to be having to fast together. And if you're kind of concerned about, you know, what, what does fasting do? What are the benefits of fasting? Let me go through a few of them really quick right now. What does fasting do? Well, number one, fasting helps prepare you for a new season. A lot of you guys are beginning brand new seasons just in a few days. You're starting school, going to new jobs, maybe moving homes, moving cities. It's a new season for your life. Do you know when Jesus was beginning a new season, when he was going to begin his public ministry? 
he actually began it and prepared for it by fasting. He fasted 40 days. We're not going to fast 40 days this time. We're going to fast one day. Um, but that was him fasting to prepare for new season. When the early church was needing to make major decisions about the future, or when they would be picking, making choices about leaders and sending people off new assignments, they would do so with prayer and fasting because they knew that fasting prepares you for a new season. And in the same way, if you are getting ready for a new season, it helps to take the time to be with God and to do so with prayer and with fasting. Number two, a second benefit that comes with prayer and fasting is that fasting pushes you to rely much more on God and a lot less on yourself. You know, I can be so self-reliant sometimes, focused on what I think and what I want and my experience and my plans, thinking I'm so smart and I can put so much stock in me. But when I fast, it's when I realize just how weak I really am. When I fast, it forces me to humble myself and rely on God. And that's why every year we try to fast as a church once or twice. And, and, and one girl, when she did our church-wide fast last time, she wrote this. She said, I learned through the fast that we need God way more than we think, and that he is a God whom we can lean on for anything. Something I learned about myself is that I keep depending on myself, but in reality, it's God we should depend on. See, fasting pushes us to rely much more on God and rely a lot less on ourselves. And if you could use a, an attitude adjustment there, if you need to trust God more and a lot less in yourself, then I encourage you to take time to fast and pray with us this coming Tuesday. A third benefit of fasting, fasting sharpens you spiritually. Here's what one girl wrote when we fasted as a church together last time. She said, during the fast, I was more focused on God and was more disciplined to have my daily time with God as well as my, only daily, uh, my own daily rest time. The Holy Spirit also spoke to me during my prayer times to remind me of some of my weaknesses that I had not realized before, which I need to work on. Someone else wrote, this was my second fast with Thrive Church. And I find that every single time I fast, I get closer to God and my faith becomes stronger. I didn't really understand the reason for fasting before, but fasting with Thrive the first time made a huge impact on my life. So much so that sometimes I'll fast by myself when I need more of his presence these days. This time fasting with my Thrive family, I learned that by fasting, I'm more focused on God. I'm hungrier for his words. I was able to hear his voice and experience the Holy Spirit working through me. Whenever I was weak or hungry, during the fast. I just needed to sing or read his words and I could feel my energy being restored. See, one of the things that happens when you fast is no, your circumstances don't necessarily change right away, but it's you that changes. You go from being distant from God to a lot closer to God. You go from being insensitive to his Holy Spirit to being more sensitive to what God is doing and saying in your life. And if you're here and you're concerned about what will happen if you fast, will it, you know, will it cause anything negative for your work performance, your academic performance? In my experience, I find that when I fast, my work performance tends to go up, at least on that first day. The second day is a different story, but on, at least on that first day, it tends to go up. I tend to be more alert. I tend to be more focused, be more energetic, more productive. That's because fasting has this way of sharpening us as well. Now, are there wrong ways to fast? Yes, there are. There are some wrong ways to fast. Let's just, just, just so that you know, let's, let's just cover a few right now. Fasting is not a show to put on to impress others. It's not you, you know, looking at others and going, look how good I am. Look at the spiritual muscle that I've got. You know, look how, how, how spiritual I am. No, fasting is not a show you put on to, to, for other people to be impressed. It's you humbling yourself before an audience of one. It's the Lord Almighty. And see, contrary to what, you know, some paraphrases of the Bible might say, I believe Hannah was actually fasting in 1 Samuel 1. 
is that when she goes up to the house of the Lord, she says, I haven't drunk anything. She doesn't eat until after she prays. It's because I believe she was fasting. It's because she needed a touch from God on her life in a situation that kept on defeating her. So she said, I'm going to fast and pray. And I believe that's what she did. And see, fasting is also not a hunger strike. It's not you trying to manipulate God to do things your way. Fasting is actually the opposite. It's surrendering to God, bending to his will, and giving him room to do only what he can do in your life. Amen? It's about surrendering to him, not trying to twist his arm to do something that God doesn't want you to do. Another one is fasting isn't so much about us, or it's not so much for God as it is for us. It's one of those things where it's about us getting out of the way, removing the distractions so we can especially focus on God and draw near to him during that time. And if this has been a long while since you felt close to God, if this has been a long while since you've been, spent intentional time to draw near to Him, then fasting together as a church is coming Tuesday is an awesome opportunity waiting just for you to be a part of. And you know, fasting, final kind of caution on this one is fasting without praying is just starvation. <laughs> if you fast but you're not praying, uh, you're just going on a diet. But see, I'm not calling you to a diet that changes your physique. I'm calling you to a fast that changes you from the inside out. And in the Bible, you're going to find that fasting is always connected to prayer. So with that in mind, how do we do the Thrive Churchwide Fast? Let me give you four simple steps. The first thing you can do to join the Thrive Churchwide Fast is go to mythrive.info, and you can press the button that says Churchwide Fast, and there you will find a guide to how to do the fast safely and healthily and effectively. And there's a place where you can submit your email so that we can send to you not just the guide, but also every day, number two, read Pastor JB's daily game sharing email on the morning of the fast. What I'm going to do as I do every day, 365 days of the year, I will send you an email with some thoughts from scripture to encourage you uh, as we walk through the Bible together. And on the day of the fast, we do something special. We give you a song that you can sing. We give you some prayers that you can pray so that it will be like you going through the day with your church to do the fast together. Isn't that great? Praise God. Number three, instead of eating meals, use that time to pray and to draw near to God. And so instead of eating at the times you normally would, you take that time. And by the way, up to you how many meals you want to fast that day. If you're able to fast all three, great. If you can only do one, fine. But whatever meal you decide to fast from, use that time to draw near to God. Use that time to pray. And finally, four, join your Thrive Church family on Tuesday night, September 1, for an online prayer meeting at 8.30 p.m. through Zoom. Let me just end with one last, uh, you know, testimony from one of the girls who did our Thrive Churchwide fast recently. She, wrote, she said this. She said, I entered the fast with a very heavy heart due to some difficulties I'm facing right now in my life. At the beginning, I thought I just want to hear an answer from God to a question I had. But at the end of the fast, I found that there's actually nothing more important than just being in his presence and experiencing his love. It's my first time that I felt like I'd given all my burdens and worries to God. There is so much more I want to share, but it will just explode the small text box. <laughs> well, let me tell you this today. If there is an issue in your life that keeps defeating you and you need to take a stand, if there is a major decision that you need to make about your future, if you want to be as ready as possible for a new season that's coming up in your life, if you want to help your church get ready for a new season, if any one of these applies to you, then I want to personally invite you to join us for our Thrive Church Fast, which is happening in just a couple days on September 1st, that's this coming Tuesday, as we take a stand together. Amen.
through the power of prayer, we're going to experience God's presence. Through the power of prayer, we're going to welcome new, great, pivotal moments in your life, in the life of our church. There is so much more that God has for you, so much more than a little text box can contain. And so if you want to be ready for it, let's use the power of prayer and fasting together, just like Hannah, to prepare for the next great things that God is going to do in and through your life and in and through Thrive Church. Oh, come on, give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. Amen. Right now, I want to give you just a minute to sign up for the Thrive Churchwide Fast. Even right now. Yeah, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Go to mythrive.info right now. And there's a link there, a button there called Thrive Churchwide Fast. Would you right now take a moment to sign up for that right now? We want to know about it because so that way we can send you some resources to support you during this time so we could all be doing this together. Would you sign up right now? Just going to give you, you know, 45 seconds right now to do it. It might be an awkward moment if you don't do anything. You might be just twiddling your thumbs, doing nothing. Don't be like Eli and just sit there. Stand up and do something right now. Sign up for the Churchwide Fast because you're not going to regret it. It's going to be an amazing time together. And so go to mythrive.info right now. Click on that button, Churchwide Fast, sign up, and let's have an amazing time taking a stand with and for our God together. If you believe that, say amen. Okay, are you doing it? Are you doing it? I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Yeah, I've got time. I've got time. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you got, you got that there? Yeah, give me a thumbs up if you got that. Thumbs up. Chat room, you guys, you guys doing it? You guys doing it? Signing up right now? Yeah, yeah, putting it. You remember your email address. Don't, don't, don't give me that excuse. You remember your email address. Yeah, for sure. Totally. Awesome. Praise God. Sign up for the Thrive Church Web Fast. It's, you're not going to regret it. It's going to be an amazing time. Even if you're not able to fast right now, if you just spend the time and just say, God, I'm going to dedicate this day to praying with you, that also makes a difference. But I encourage you to give God as much room as possible because the Bible says, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. That's God saying it. And so I encourage you today, let's sign up for the Thrive Churchwide Fast together. As we close off today, you guys have been an amazing church as we've been getting God's word together. Did you learn something today? I hope this has been a benefit to you, an encouragement to you. Let's all pray together. I'm going to ask everyone here, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and this is a time when you're starting to realize that God's love for you really is an unconditional love, so much so that God sent Jesus Christ for you. If you are here and you want to receive that love, you want to receive God's unconditional love, which sent Jesus Christ to the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins. If you want to receive that love, if you want to receive that forgiveness, if you want to receive a relationship with God that isn't based on our resume and how good we are, but simply based on God's amazing grace, his undeserved kindness in your life. If you want to receive that forgiveness from God, if you want to have confidence and security that you are a child of God and you are secure, your eternity is secure, now I want to encourage you just to, why don't you either press that button that's on your screen that says, I commit my life to Jesus, or you can lift up your hand to God right now, and we're just going to pray this prayer together right now. You can pray this with me. Just repeat after me and say, Dear Jesus, thank you for your unconditional love for me, that you died on the cross to pay for my sins, that you rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart please come in, forgive me of my sins, and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Amen. Hey, guess what? If you prayed that prayer and you meant that from your heart, the Bible says you are forgiven of your sins. You are a child of God. You are a citizen of heaven. You are a priest in God's kingdom. And the best is yet to come. And we'd love to know about that decision if you made that. Would you press that button? I commend life to Jesus. We want to send you some resources. You can also text the word BELIEVE to 604-285-5770. We'd love to give you some stuff to just encourage you, maybe answer some questions you might have, and to set you on a great start to this relationship with God. Finally, those of you who are here and you are like Hannah, there was an issue that has kept on defeating you. There's a situation that keeps on depressing you. There's a, a problem in your life that you've still, got, has still gotten the best of you so often and you wanna take a stand against that today. If that's you, it's your turn to respond. Why don't you lift up your hand to God right now? That's you right now, don't hesitate. Respond to God right now. With, let the height of your hands reflect how much you need God. If there's an issue in your life, just like Hannah, that keeps on getting the best of you and you don't want it to anymore, you wanna take a stand against it. You wanna be a more resilient version of yourself. You wanna be a a tougher version of yourself. You want to be a stronger version of yourself, a secure version of yourself. By the power of prayer, why don't you lift up your hand to God right now? Lift up your hand to God right now. And right now, just like Hannah did, I'm going to encourage you to stand up wherever you are right now. Just get up from your seat. Don't worry. Like I said, don't be so self-conscious about what someone else is doing. It doesn't concern them. This between you and God. Lift up your hands. Get to your feet. Start talking to God right now. Let's take a stand together right now. We just start talking to God from your heart. In your own words, from your heart, just give God that burden. Give God that problem. Give God that uncertainty. Give God that worry. Give God that hurt. Give God that thing that bothers you. Give it to him today. Pour your heart to him right now. Don't wait for me to stop talking. You start talking to God. He loves you. He's here. He's listening. So give this time to him right now. Come on, church. Open up your mouth. Lift up your heart. Give it this, give this time to him right now. Just start talking today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. Praise you, Jesus. We give that situation to you. We give that situation to you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your name. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Why don't you pray this with me right now? If with your hands open, your heart open, you know, on your feet. Why don't you pray this with me right now? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are greater than my situation. Thank you for showing me that I don't need to keep on being defeated. I don't need to keep on being discouraged by the same problem over and over again. But instead, I'm taking a stand with you through prayer, through fasting, knowing that you are everything I need. Thank you that the best pivotal moments are still to come. And so I ask you for it today, O oh Lord Almighty. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now? Oh, come on, there's more than that. Give God all of your praise in this place. Praise God. You are an amazing church. Right now, I'm going to hand the time to our worship band. They're going to lead us in a song. Let's continue to give God all of our worship. Let's continue to respond to God and pour out our hearts, pour out our praise to Him because He's worthy. After that, I'm going to lead you in a closing prayer. And so let's do that together as we get ready to give God more of our worship. Let's do that together right now. Fall 
and the sea turns rough, but my word stands strong, says the Lord. When the world gets tough, filled with broken hearts, but my love won't fail, says the Lord. Your love is in worship. Let's give this moment to God. He's worthy of our praise. And Lord, we thank you that your grace and your mercy is more than enough for us. We thank you that in every single moment of our lives, you're here and you're in control. So whatever it is in your heart today, just give it to God. And God, we praise you. Oh 
God, a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. Can we do that together? Praise God. He is more than enough for you and for me. And so as we close off our service today, we're going to do a couple things. First off, if you call Thrive Church, your home church, or you just believe in the work that God is doing here, then I want to encourage you to give your faithful tithes, your generous offerings, knowing that when we seek God's kingdom first, he adds what? He adds everything we need. And so thank you so much for being a generous church. Thank you so much for taking care of your church and also sowing to God's kingdom, knowing that when we do so, he built his church through us here in the city of Vancouver and around the world. And so let's give to God first. And you guys have been amazing today. Let's go into the Thrive Churchwide Fast together this coming Tuesday, knowing that the best is yet to come. We can do this. God is with us. And before I hand the time back to our online host, let me pray one last prayer of blessing over you today. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for every single person here who's watching the service, that you love them more than words can say. You love them more than they can possibly even fathom. And we just pray all of your blessing, your protection, your peace, your presence, healing, comfort, strength, wisdom, joy, hope, and your Holy Spirit to fill every single person here until we meet again. We pray for our Thrive Churchwide Fast together today, that we would be awesome at drawing near to you together, and that as a result, we'd see you doing amazing things in our own individual lives and in our church family as well. We thank you, and we lift up this coming with your hands. We give the future to you, knowing that because Jesus Christ died and rose again, the best is yet to come. We thank you, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. One more time. Let's give God a big hand, a big shout together right now. That's it from all of us here at Thrive Church. We love you guys. Praise God. God is with you. He loves you. We love you guys as well. That's going to close off our service. Going to hand the time to Christine, our online host. Have an amazing Sunday, everybody. We'll see you guys on Zoom. We'll see you guys at our Thrive Church Wide Fast, wherever you are in the world, wherever you are in the city doing it. We can't wait to do it with you. Praise God. Let's get ready for a great week ahead. Thank you, Pastor JB, for sharing another great pivotal moment with us. We loved hearing your story. All right, before we end off, it's time for some announcements. Once again, if this is your first time visiting us, let us know by texting you to 604-285-5770 and we'll mail you a Thrive stainless steel water bottle. And if you made the decision to receive Jesus Christ today, congratulations! Let us know by texting BELIEVE to you know it, 604-285-5770. And we have prepared a gift that includes a series of videos that may answer some of your questions about Christianity. It'll be mailed right to your door, and we hope that will guide you on the right path to follow Jesus. Alright everyone, since we're on the topic of pivotal moments, I want to share with you one of my own pivotal moments, and it happened during our last church-wide fast. Last year, I was a fresh graduate from university, and I was lost and at a crossroad with my career. I struggled to see where my future led, and during this time, I fasted and prayed a lot with my church. I saw God truly work in my life and paved a more clear direction and path for me to take. 
fasting helped me focus on prayer and my time with God. A few months later, I was super grateful for God giving me the opportunity to work with the federal government. So with that being said, if you want to experience more of God's glory, comfort, and guidance, join me and other Thrivers for this year's Thrive Churchwide Fast. It's happening on this coming Tuesday, September 1st. So mark your calendars. Let's make room for God to work in our lives. And I truly believe that more prayer equals to, say with me, more power. That's right. On the same Tuesday night, join us at our weekly Tuesday Zoom prayer meetings at 8.30 p.m. as we will be breaking fast together. For more information or to sign up, please visit mythrive.info. And last but not least, even though we can't meet together, Baptism at Thrive is still happening. If you're wondering what baptism is or you're thinking about getting baptized, sign up at mythrive.info and we will contact you with more details. All right, everyone, thank you again for joining me this week. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings at mythrive.info. I hope you all have a fantastic week ahead and be sure to be safe and enjoy the last bit of summer. I'll see you all next week right here at Thrive Church Online. Bye!